Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Oh yeah. Awesome. Nice work, gents. So tonight I'm joined by my co-host Ando. How are you, Ando? Hello. I'm top-notch, mate. Glad to be here. Glad to chat about things which are rugby-related. Very excited. Awesome. And Rev in Queensland. How are you, Rev? Very good. Uh, I was hoping to go by a regular Mitch again, based off last week. A regular Mitch. That's right. I forgot about <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> All right. A regular Mitch from now on. Um, how are things up in Queensland? Uh, yeah, really good. We're um, trying to do our best with all the mask mandates and restrictions so that we can get some rugby being played in Queensland. Yeah. Uh, but at the moment, we're sort of persevering and making it through quite well, I think. And have you uh, put any any word in to host the rugby champs to the local government or anything? Uh, I've been whispering, chat with been whispering yeah. to my uh, principal at Calvary Road State High yeah. School, just trying to get uh, the bottom oval used. I mean, we can awesome. field probably a thousand spectators. So if we're getting desperate, we'll use it. <laughs> yeah, we'll just play it there. Yeah. That's fine. The whole rugby champs will be played at your high school. Sounds great. Um, all right, so Ando, you run through our social platforms and then we'll get into what we're doing this evening. Easy. So to start off with, we've got the socials, Instagram, hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook, pick and drive rugby podcast and Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Now we also have our Super Brew competition, which is rolling on through and congratulations to the Yellow Cap winner for this week, which is SysPT2, who achieved 2.5 points. So you got the bonus points this round. Very, very well done. Got it on the nose. So that is super impressive. Um, overall, you still have SysPT2, who is in the lead on five points. You got the big boss man, the rib father, and front row all on four points. Very, very close behind. So it's a tight run competition. I think I'm in 10th. Uh, where are you guys again? Remind me, Rev? Well, they couldn't have tied for first, so I opted to take 27th. I think that was the only available spot. So I'm, I'm there at the yeah. moment. Mm. Um, yeah. mm. that's, that's generous of you. And <laughs> Thank Mitch? you uh 22 somewhere down the bottom there yeah yeah good yeah. good good okay sorry yep carry on holding the table up <laughs> <laughs> well uh mitch why don't i throw it back over to you and you can tell our lovely listeners what we're doing tonight fantastic so we are going to dive into some spicy news first and after we do that in the news we'll talk about some more local uh domestic side of rugby things before we dive into bledisloe 3 and the cancellation slash postponement and all of the goss and and hot takes that have come from that. We'll then review the Argentina and South Africa rugby champs game that was played over the weekend before we enter the locker room and answer all of our fans' questions and comments. Bro, right, mate. How does that sound? Shall we just dive into it? Let's dive in. Let's go. Let's go. All right, we're going to talk about some spicy news now, and we'll start with the biggest news out of New South Wales, and that is that the shoot shield has been cancelled. It's been called off due to the current local conditions with covid it just is not feasible to be able to play the rest of the, the games for this year. Uh, and we were only nine rounds in, I believe. So <clears throat> it just wasn't going to be feasible to be able to have some kind of ma- manageable final series. So they've decided the best thing is to call it off. And, and at this stage, they haven't announced a replacement winner. Uh, but some of the biggest news that has come out since that announcement is that Penrith has been officially kicked out of the shoot shield and will not be included next year. 
this has caused a lot of debate online. A lot of anger has come out from New South Wales rugby fans. What's your thoughts around this, Ando? I think it's short-sighted and it's a reactionary attempt by particular clubs who are looking after their own interests rather than the broader interests of Sydney, New South Wales and Australian rugby in general. Um, And part of the difficulty is just the lack of alignment between the different levels of Sydney, New South Wales and international uh, Wallabies level where they're not aiming for the same goals. There isn't that kind of centralised authority that's providing the guidance and direction um, within within this rugby scene. So I really, really dislike this situation. Yeah, Penrith had been underperforming and been really poor for a number of years now, but the question should have been, what do we do to help them become more competitive? What support do we provide? Rather than just kicking them out, considering the potential that Western Sydney has within um, this rugby, the Sydney rugby scene. Yeah, and I think for me personally, the biggest frustration with this whole process was that the other clubs in Western Sydney, all that were struggling were kind of sort of on the chopping block. Uh, so Parramatta and uh, West Harbour, they were allowed to front the Shoot Shield board and present a case as to why they should be included and what their plan was to meet the requirements that were brought in by the other clubs. Uh, but Penrith wasn't given that opportunity. They weren't invited. They were just told that they weren't allowed. They weren't being uh, allowed to co- to compete next year, which is a real slap in the face for the Penrith community, uh, and it just shows short sightedness. The other thing too is that they a number of years ago Penrith weren't in the shoot shield. They left because they didn't have enough talent to sustain the number of clubs and the number of levels that to compete in the this tournament. But then two years ago, the Shoot Shield asked them to, to put a team in. So they pulled resources together to put a, a first grade side together and play. So it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense why they've gone to the effort to bring them back and then kick them out again. Uh, do you have anything you wanted to say around this, Rev, being a Queensland-based rugby fan? I think the thing that annoys me is just how often we see this in rugby and other sports as well. Like we saw with Western Force getting kicked out off the back of not a whole heap of great results. But it's because when these clubs come into the system, um, they get looked after the first two or three years because, you know, they get um, some marquee signings and they get, you know, a few players that couldn't make the starting team for, you know, Reds or Brumbies um, sort of flown down. And then after that, they sort of get dismissed. And I think the only time we've seen it sort of work is like in the NRL with the Titans, where they got all these stars to come through. And this year, they're actually doing the best out of the Queensland sides because they've been looked after and they've got a few sort of noticeable players Unfortunately, with Penrith, they've had so many of their good players go to sort of the more inner city clubs because that's where they're going to get more game time, more access and exposure to, you know, hopefully a better contract down the track. So I agree with Ando. I think it's short-sighted. Um, I hope that there's a way that they can come back into the system. You know, I hope there's some sort of twiggy, you know, magnate equivalent somewhere <laughs> in the you know, the, the Western suburbs that, that can assist. But um, I, I think there's something that they'll look back and think, gee, we really didn't do a good job of expanding um, and making this a New South Wales comp, this really is a Sydney city comp. And it's a, it's a Sydney, Eastern Sydney comp as well. Yes, yes. It doesn't really feel inclusive of the Sydney landscape particularly. Yeah. The other interesting thing that came out of this article uh, by the Sydney Morning Herald that released and, and announced this news was that Rugby Australia understands that Western Sydney is a massive growth area, and so they don't want to remove the product of rugby from that area. So they've said that they have plans to do things in Western Sydney, in Penrith, to try and keep the players coming through the pathways. 
but they don't currently have the financial capacity to do that and they're waiting until they can get private investment to be able to do that. Now, that is just frustrating as a New South Wales fan as well to, to realize that Rugby Australia has plans to grow the game in this area and they under, can see that that is a, a growth of talent there. Yet New South Wales is so short-sighted, New South Wales Rugby, sorry, is so short-sighted to allow the shoot shield to kick them out and to to not have them included. It just, again, it's another it's another imbalance of of organisation and does, it's really frustrating. Does New South Wales Rugby even have the jurisdiction to tell Sydney Rugby what to do in that regard? Well, they're two separate organisations. So yeah, New that's South my Wales, point. That's my point. It depends if you're talking about the Waratahs or New South Wales yeah, Rugby. Yeah, and so New that's, my, that's Rugby, my point though, is like shoot shield the sydney rugby union can do what they want with shoot shield separate to new south wales rugby union correct yes yeah cool so it doesn't matter what new south wales rugby wants because all rugby australia yeah exactly and that's that kind of ties back to my earlier point it's Mm. stupid that we have these competing interests which really should be working together for the betterment of rugby in new south wales and australia as a whole not with these different competing um goals and desire self-interest reigns supreme as always and you kind of have to find some way of eliminating that yeah well we don't know what will end up happening but we hope that there is something that does come of this some good hopefully in in the next few years so we'll keep abreast of the issue and we'll see what happens um let's move up to queensland now so the hospital cup has been paused uh they have announced that they're they're far enough into their season that they can still have a final series what they have revised, what have they announced is they're revising their finals format. So what it will look like, uh, they'll play two elimination games or semifinals where the team ranked first will play the team ranked fourth and the team ranked second will play the team ranked third. They're due to be played on August the 28th and the 29th, followed by the grand final, which will be played on the 5th to the 6th of September. Um, at this stage, I think, I believe they're talking about playing those at, uh, was that, Rev, do you um, remember where they're, yeah, I think they're, talk, they're it, talking about playing it at... Um, Norths and GPS for the semifinals and then Suncorp for yeah. the final. Yeah, that's it. I've, just, I've lost the name of the, <laughs> the stadium. I was like, Lang Park? Yeah. That's not... That's not... <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, so what, what are your thoughts around this one, Rev? I, I think it should be pretty good. Um, I'm a bit upset because I'm um, uh, East... East fan from way back. I haven't played there for a few years and they you know had the six from six in the finals last year. Uh, this year, they... I think it might have one team representing the finals in some of the lower grades. Uh, but the, the prem grade game should actually be quite good. That um, University of Queensland side, I think they've won 14 of their 16 games, and they're really strong on paper. Uh, and then West, they sort of made a late finish to come in third. Um, they could be potential front runners if they've got all their Reds players, because, you know, that's like the um, Andrew Sessis, Isaac Henrys, like a lot of those Reds backline members make up that um, side. So I'm keen to see the games. It is a shame that we won't get the full thing, but I think, you know, in the scheme of things, Queensland's been very lucky throughout the COVID situation to sort of just get on the slightly better side of, you know, shorter lockdowns and being able to get these games played. So I think, um, you know, Queensland Rugby Tragics, if there's no rugby championship to go through, they'll at least have this to go out and watch. Yeah, and, and the great thing as well is that you will have a, an outcome from the Hospital Cup this year. So one team will be able to host it at the end of the year, which is awesome. Um, other good news that, to, that we mentioned last week, so... Uh, Tuati Kefu has come out of hospital after his home invasion stabbing. Uh, he's recovering at home, which is good to see. Um, his family is also still recovering. So thoughts yeah. and prayers with their family. Yeah, so Tuati Kefu's wife had to go into surgery as well. She had a really significant injury to her arm, actually. Um, yeah. And there was some comment that 
she may actually significantly lose function of some of the features of her arm and hand. So hopefully she's on the road to recovery there and will regain full mobility and movement. Um, did you guys see the interview with Todai Kefu afterwards where he was just so gracious and magnanimous towards the, uh, the home invaders? Because they, they were just children. They were like 15-year-old kids. Yeah, yeah. 13 um, to 15. There's oh, a few of them, yeah. Absolutely incredible. So, yeah, he was just kind of uh, demonstrating why so many people hold him in high regard in the way that he spoke about those, the horrible choices that those young people made and how his family would be recovering in the aftermath. Mm. Yeah, well, hopefully there's some good news coming out of the, for the family in the coming days and they can recover well. Last uh, bit of news we have is around the women's side of, of the game. So the Black Firms were scheduled to play the Wallaroos uh, at Rugby Park in Christchurch on Sunday, the 26th of September, and at Eden Park as part of the doubleheader with the All Blacks, who were going to be playing the Springboks. But both of those games have been cancelled now, which is a massive... Um, it, it's unfortunate for the Wallaroos because they've had so many games moved and cancelled this year that it is now looking like they will go another year without playing any Test Rugby. It's absolutely incredible. I was looking at this before. The last game that they played was on the 17th of August, 2019. So there's been two years almost to the day since they've last played a competitive international rugby match because they've had one, two, three, four games, five, six games now that have been postponed. And then there's a whole bunch of others that just didn't get off the ground because of the COVID issues. So the... um. The New Zealand team have been able to get some games, I think it's four games in Northern Hemisphere as part of a kind of spring tour for the women's squad. And the Wallaroos, just nothing has been announced. I doubt that um, RA has the money to be able to fund something like that. And yeah, it's it's just horrible again that they just get left behind and their preparation for the upcoming World Cup is yet again um, damaged. Take another hit. Mm. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Well, that's all we've got for the spicy news. Shall we move on to the Bledisloe 3? Yeah, let's go. Discussion. Let's go. Let's get into it. All right, now we get to the main course, the part that everybody was waiting for, where we get to just rip into New Zealand rugby for the horrific decision that's been made about the postponement, supposedly, of Bledisloe 3. Now, I've just made the presumption that all of us want to rip into them, but I know, Rev, that you are probably someone who is a little bit more balanced and has a bit more perspective on this than maybe Mitch and I had to begin with. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? Uh, Yeah, yeah, potentially. (laughs) <laughs> potentially we'll see we'll can see. i say one uh, thing before we really dive into this and oh, get to yeah go for it to to into it i do want to say that a lot of the comments we probably will say moving forward in this section particularly are uh, directed more towards the new zealand uh, management not necessarily the players we understand right. that it's not an ideal situation for the players to and they're not the ones that are making these decisions a lot of the talk that's been coming out of the decisions that have been made particularly online gets to a point where people are starting to accuse players of certain things, but there's been no uh, there's been no talk around anything around senior players actually being involved in any of these decisions. It sits purely with the rugby administrators. So I just want to come out and clear the air and say that we don't have any ill will against the All Blacks themselves as players or the Wallabies or any senior players. That it's, we're mostly frustrated with the administrators behind this decision. Other than yep. Dane Coles. 
other yeah, than Dan Coles, but that goes that's without separate. saying. That's separate to this, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so what I'm going to do, just to kind of provide a bit of structure and guidance to this segment, is to go through a bit of a chronological view using quotes and extracts which are directly taken from the stated and publicly available words from Marinos, Dave Rennie, and Mark Robinson. Okay, so... Whilst I'll provide some context and information around it, there will be points where I'm directly quoting from the words that they have said. And so what I want to start with is um, the first step, which was the announcement of by New Zealand Rugby, okay, of the fact that they had kind of cancelled the upcoming test or postponed it. So this is happening on Friday, just gone, Friday 20th of August, and the original announcement reads, without complete certainty on the team's next movements around the rugby championship, we felt it was prudent for the team to stay put in New Zealand until Sanzar have announced the full tournament schedule. Once the team leaves our shores, they currently can't return until November 23rd, post their northern tour. So given the uncertainty, it makes sense to pause and get more clarity on these fixtures. Now, there's a lot that can be said within that based upon information that's come out uh, post that announcement. But let's just leave that and I'll quickly track through the other points. So that came out. Does anybody remember the specific time? Was it about 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. that that came out? Uh, Midday, I think, was the announcement. Yeah, okay. Midday, sure. And so Annie Marinos's reply through Rugby Australia um, came at 2.20 on that Friday. And one quote from it is, It's incredibly disappointed to be informed of this decision via the media, despite having a conversation with the CEO moments before, and there being no mention that this was the intention. And that is what our um, RA CEO Marinos said. Now, to be very, very clear, what he's said is that he's been officially informed of this decision via the media, and it's about the media announcements. So step two, Dave Rennie's presser. He, this was fascinating to see a very well-respected New Zealand coach coming in and just blasting New Zealand rugby and the administration as well. Not the players, not the fans, not the people, but the administrators. And one thing so, I want to say as well, and it might put some context to some of the, the harshness that Rennie has used, is that the Wallabies and... I don't believe Marinos was actually there at the time, but the Wallabies were at a pre-Bledisloe luncheon hosted by the Western Force or Rugby Western Australia at the time that the news came out. So they were there celebrating the fact that Western that Perth was hosting the Bledisloe. They were talking with dignitaries of Western Australian rugby and, and sponsors and trying to really G up the game, saying how great it's going to be, how much they're looking forward to playing uh, in front of the, the Western Australian fans. And halfway through that lunch, they get the news through the media that the All Blacks aren't coming. And so that really puts that lunch into, it makes it a mute event, really. And it got, probably puts some thought as to what to the words, the type of words that Dave Rennie uses. Yep. So we made a commitment to play a test in Auckland on the 7th of August. We had players away from home for six weeks already out of New South Wales. And we honoured that commitment. They asked to play an extra game because we couldn't go back to Wellington. So we honoured that as well. They made a commitment to come on the 21st, which was put back, pushed back to the 28th, and now they're not coming. If they're playing a welfare card, well, our New South Wales boys haven't been home for eight weeks already, with no clear end in sight and likelihood they won't get home until late November to then be in quarantine. So it's a really... That's just a segment of what he says. And it's kind of showing the frustration and the passions that are kind of running high at this point in time. So then the very next day, and this is coming out on um, Saturday, and Mark Robinson's response, and it wasn't even through an official kind of announcement. It was an interview that he was doing on a radio station in New Zealand. So he's saying that we, so between kind of RA and New Zealand Rugby, had calls right through from Wednesday 
Thursday and we put something in writing on Thursday and we spoke to them about uh, spoke to them before anything was released. Certainly, I know that senior All Blacks and Wallabies were discussing this situation and our players were making them aware of the reality of our situation. It's a shame that couldn't get back to Dave and some of the people he's referring to. Oh, like there's so much. That doesn't actually... I've got questions of... as to what they oh. mean by senior All Blacks and Wallabies. So who, who are senior All Blacks and Wallabies? Yeah, yeah. Like are, they, are we talking I... about Michael Hooper and... You know, Scott Fidey, uh, not Scott Fidey, um, Scott Barrett and the, the leaders of the All Blacks? Maybe Sam Surely Whitelock, not. Yeah. Sam Whitelock, I mean, sorry. Surely not. Yeah, maybe. I know that um, they were chatting with each other, what, last in 2020 when they were talking about potential pay cuts between um, players to help keep the respective competitions alive. Um, I know that some of the senior players were talking, but either way, it shouldn't be up to the senior players to be communicating significant organizational um, decisions <laughs> decisions to the coach anyway and then Andy Marinos came on nine world water nine world water sports and did an interview there this and, is this morning yeah that was this morning Sunday and he's uh, Sunday Sunday and he's hopeful that the third blood is low can be played in Perth and now I'm getting into a quote the context is that we had an emergency call on a Thursday morning to get clarity around what the future structure was Mark and NZ guys had put a pretty unrealistic deadline on us at 12 o'clock on Friday I was on a call with him on Friday to ask him to at least give us some time until 3 p.m. We had a further Sanzar call to make a further to make a final decision. They weren't prepared to do that. They were pretty adamant about their decision, but at no time did they admit they were going to make a public statement before we'd even had an opportunity to engage as a Sanzar group. It was pretty clear to me. I don't think they ever really had any intention of fulfilling that game on the 28th. So, there's so much to unpack here. Uh, what? My initial, what my take is on this whole thing is I don't inherently have an issue with New Zealand not wanting to leave New Zealand without clarity over the decision, uh, over the rugby championship schedule. Like, uh, I don't inherently agree with it because of what our players have had to be through, but I can understand that. The, my main problem is that this is horrible optics on the New Zealand choice that they're not willing to consult with Sansa or even wait three additional hours to have a Sansa meeting before putting an announcement out. And the reasons that they provide, namely player welfare, if you go back to the original press announcement, it's all about player welfare. It doesn't stack up against the commitments that Australia has already had and did last year as well. So when you combine all those points, it just looks really bad for New Zealand rugby, particularly in the manner in which they've communicated it. Rev, I know that you had some pretty considered thoughts around this. What was your kind of takeaway? My big takeaway on the Friday was that it seemed like Twitter was sort of exploding and overreacting with New Zealand rugby um, as a whole, when in fact it was pretty much just a certain section of the people that, you know, uh, released it to the media. And, and my issue was, you know, the, the people saying, oh, New Zealand are scared of playing the Springboks, that's why they've pulled this off, or... Um, they don't respect the Wallabies, so they're not worried about the third blood. Like, all that sort of stuff is so far removed from the players, I don't think it holds any water at all. I think um, the good thing about this is I've steered completely off any discussion on this publicly because I think no one's really addressing many of the, the key issues with this. Is just that, realistically, New Zealand rugby are well within their rights to not travel if they don't know what the structure is. Because we're sitting here on Sunday night and we don't know what the structure is the rest of the rugby championship they're going to find out hopefully tomorrow evening seems to be the yep. call yep 
Um, and so that it'll be great to sort of tie things together then. But the people that are, you know, bemoaning the Wallabies, the All Blacks, somehow people are, like, complaining about the Springboks and all this relating it to last year. Like, it's just, it's all been really poorly blown out. Um, and I think it's exa- uh, exaggerated because there's no game this weekend. And so not having the game next weekend makes it seem like it's even further away. My big thing would just be waiting to see what happens. If the game goes ahead on September 4th, which seems pretty likely, like things are going pretty well in Queensland, I think we sort of all just forget about it uh, down the track, or at least that's that's what I'd like to think. Um, to me, the only issue with this is that New Zealand rugby's um, media correspondents, or you know, the people in charge of making these decisions, did not correspond with SANSA. That is one of their obligations. They are a member of SANSA. Um, so if, you know, we're looking at uh, Andy Marinos complaining about this, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, that's just, you know, because the Australians, it's because of the results. He's got more of a vested interest in the competition as a whole because he's run Sansa. He knows that, you know, we need a healthy competition to survive. I think he'd be much more, you know, in line to get these games playing as opposed to trying to create some divide between New Zealand. I don't think this is intentionally trying to split apart uh, like so many people are claiming. So... Look, I'm trying to go through all this without being too um off the rails or you know pointing too many fingers at specific you know people or places, but I I just think it's really not that big a deal. Um, they've called it off, and I think they're well within their rights too. Let's just hope we can get it going on September fourth, uh, because I I want to see them play each other, and I don't think it has anything to do with any hidden political agendas. Everyone can remove their tinfoil hats. You know, COVID exists, and we've got to be flexible. So that's what's happening. That's a very measured response. <laughs> now let's get the hot take. <laughs> I uh, I have questions coming around whether and and Andy Marinos says or Marinos we're not quite sure how to pronounce that uh, correctly, <laughs> but questions that he's come out today with saying that he believes New Zealand rugby never had any intention of playing this game, and I'm starting more and more to believe that that might be true. It's an unusual circumstance that after the last Bledisloe Cup test in in Auckland. The Wallabies the next day boarded a flight to Perth, went through a, a quarantine period in Perth and are now through that process and a training uh, as a group again. The All Blacks all dispersed and went to all their individual homes for a week. So they knew that they had to come back together to, to get to Perth to play this test on the 28th. Why did they then disperse in, all, in, in, in this current time, uh, avoiding uh, removing their bubble that they've been in previously? Uh, in in just getting in amongst the public, and then coming back together and saying it's too it's too hard for us now to get to to Perth to play the the Wallabies. We're not going to do it. Um, and they're quoting all the player welfare issues. It doesn't sit right with me. Why would you do that? Why would you not as a stay together as a team and fly to Perth with the Wallabies so that you both teams are in a bubble, and and arrive in Perth and quarantine and be able to prepare for this test on the 28th? I'm not sure if I have an answer (laughs) (laughs) to say that really clearly. Uh, Rev, any thoughts in response to that? Uh, Look, I I think it's all reasonably fair because there's been so many things pointed out. Like, it's hard to know what the truth is or what the opinion is. I mean, Mm. even in the last half hour, we've had Fox Sports articles from Christy Doran saying that this is the dark side of private equity rearing its head uh, and that New Zealand can see some sort of financial gain if they play their 100th test against the Springboks in a sold-out Twickenham compared to, you know, at Suncorp. 
this is, I mean, there's so many things just wildly getting speculated, and this is the thing that makes rugby engaging and interesting, but also brings out sort of the worst in a lot of people when they get stuck on this other side. So I, um, <laughs> I'm i going to stick to my measured response and <laughs> try not to poke any bears out there. The biggest issue, yeah, okay. though, is that we've the Wallabies have gone to New Zealand and we've played two tests in Eden Park back-to-back, so New Zealand rugby gets all of the, the takings from those tests. They had a sold-out game week one, whatever the uh, uh, crowd percentage was week two, which wasn't as much as week one, but that's okay given the times. They still made money out of those. Rugby Australia is in a much worse financial situation than New Zealand rugby is. We need the money. We are doing everything we possibly can to get games going ahead at the at the cost of our players' welfare. They're away from family. They're away from friends. They're in other countries in uncertain times for however long. We don't even know at this stage. So we're doing everything we can, bending over backwards, to meet the requirements of New Zealand to play games. Now, when we get the chance to host a game, we have a sold-out game in Perth uh, against the All Blacks. We would expect, as business partners, that they would front and allow us to get those earnings back. Because we yep. technically don't get any money from those two tests we play in New Zealand in, in Auckland. So the fact that they've now pulled out and we're sitting at a loss... From that, we have to refund those. If they don't come at all, where do we get that money from again? And it's actually worse than that. So there's a big issue in so far that the Western Australian government paid um, $5 million to RA for the rights to host this test. And so Western Australia is going to be asking for that money back from Rugby Australia, who are notoriously poor at the moment. And so there's talk of that getting pushed forward onto New Zealand rugby, but that's, a, that's not going to happen because they're not um, signatories on a contract or anything like that. But uh, there, <laughs> it's even come out that um, Andy Marinos is saying that there needs to be something in writing that New Zealand will be coming to play on the rescheduled date. Otherwise, they're going to be liable for the $5 million cost because they've already, um, uh, in, what's the right word? Uh, haven't haven't turned up for a negated, month so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. So look, we actually had a few questions that we were going to use to kind of frame this discussion. And the first one, I might just run through a couple of them before I throw it back to you guys. The yep. first one, well, if we're to just sum it all up is what happened. A complex situation, both politically and from a rugby perspective, was emerging with a lot of changing variables on a regular basis, particularly because of the Delta outbreak within kind of the Eastern Australian states, um, met a really challenging situation, uh, met an organisation, Sanzar, which is notoriously bad at working together, and also just met poor communication. And all three of them combined to turn into a badly, badly communicated and badly responded to. Yeah, and it was just like to have the um, CEOs of the various organizations going out in public and basically just crapping all over each other is a really poor look for the game. Um, And so, yeah, it's a complex situation which has happened and led to what is a bad, bad time. Now, the next question was, is this fair? And I think for any Australian fan, like Mitch has just pointed out, it doesn't pass the kind of pub test on whether it's kind of fair or the right thing to do, even not knowing the complexities of the negotiations that are going on. Our players just went and really bent over backwards to help out New Zealand rugby over the last kind of three weeks. And that is now not being reciprocated. And you can ignore, you can say all that you want about the extenuating factors, but from that basic 
level of equity between the commitments that, are stri- uh, that uh, the Wallabies have made to play games in New Zealand and now the New Zealand rugby is not making to play games in Australia, that's really difficult. And so, Rev, I'm going to throw this third question to you. What does this mean then for the rugby championships moving forward? The big thing is, I think there's been a snowballing effect since uh, South Africa removed uh, from Super Rugby, and that was, you know, partially getting pushed out, partially their own sort of desire to get to the Northern Hemisphere. There really needs to be some sort of settlement on where uh, they want to end up. Do they want to try and merge into the Six Nations somehow, or do they actually want to stay in the rugby championship with us? Because at the moment, we've already had great discussions on here in previous podcasts trying to get the ideas of Fiji and Japan joining in, sort of having that, you know, Southern Hemisphere version of the Six Nations, which I think would be great to do. So for me, this year, I just want to see all the games played out, whether that's Queensland or Europe, I don't care. But I need to have some sort of plan going through. And again, I hate, I've brought up NRL already, and I don't like rugby league for anyone listening. But <laughs> I know that whenever a decision gets made, it's Peter Volandis or Volandis, however it's pronounced. But like, I know that he exists. I know that he makes the decisions, which shouldn't happen in a sport that I don't follow. Whereas for us, I have to think, well, we've got Rugby Australia. So we've got David Cody as the president. We've got Hamish McLennan as the chairman. We've got um, Andy Marinos as the CEO. But then do they make any decisions or does that go to Sansa? And then does Sansa make any decisions or does that go to World Rugby? And we've got so many different hierarchies to try and, you know, like it's just... Any sort of article or press conference has, you know, 10 names listed and they've all got to reference and go back and forth and have a meeting over here. It's just everything is so convoluted and messy. They nearly, like, COVID really should be acting as this sort of clean slate program where we just think, look, everything's going to change a little bit. Let's just see what works. Use the end of this year and the start of 2022 before the tests really kick into gear to sort out what every competition looks like. Because we don't even know who we're going to be playing in Super Rugby next year. We've got no idea where our next test match is going to be played. Like, there is so much uncertainty, and I get that it's a difficult time, but there shouldn't be this many questions when, you know, ideally we've got someone that we can turn to as the, you know, the great overlooker or overseer of the events to see, you know, what's going to happen. So my big hope is get all the games played in Queensland, back up, get all the games played in Europe, and ideally lock these four teams in and Japan and Fiji for next year and beyond. Mitch, moving forward then, what does this mean for Rugby Australia and New Zealand rugby? It's not that long ago that the various heads of RA and NZR were walking along a beach, rugby balls in hand, <laughs> uh, just for one of the cheesiest photo shoots in kind of sporting That history. was in Perth, wasn't it? <laughs> that was the last time we played. I think that was like Cottesloe Beach or something. And now we're here. Now we're here. So what does this mean for the two organisations moving forward? I honestly don't understand. I don't see how Rugby Australia is going to be able to continue this close relationship with New Zealand rugby purely from a financial and business perspective moving forward. We've been burnt three times now in the last two years with decisions that New Zealand rugby have made purely for the benefit of themselves over us. Uh, we are doing everything that we can to meet our financial and uh, obligations to New Zealand, but nothing's being reciprocated to us. It's getting to a point now where our game's suffering, our, uh, our performance is suffering. Uh, we've spoken so many times in the past around the fact that New Zealand is the best option just because of how close they are geographically, but our game's not getting any better from playing them. We're not getting better as a nation, a rugby nation, by playing New Zealand. Now, if we're going to start losing money because they're not uh, coming through with their commitments to play us, then why should we continue to have those commitments? 
I think Rugby Australia really needs to now take this opportunity to look what's going to happen next year, to reassess the situation. We've seen that Super Rugby AU as a product in of itself is successful. It brings in money and it brings in viewers. Super Rugby Trans Tasman didn't do that. So it's not a successful model or a product from a financial perspective. Now, if New Zealand rugby isn't going to come and play tests in Australia either, then what's the point of having such a close bond with this nation? We need to do what's best for us. Uh, I, I imagine that if we went to Fiji or Tonga and said, we'll play you in a three test series next year, they would be there with bells on every single test, particularly if we said, we'll split the, the proceeds with you 50-50 or whatever. Um, New Zealand rugby just seems to be doing what's best for themselves so much in the last few years that they're really starting to burn that bridge. Yep. Well, I think that's probably enough on this topic, fam. So why don't we wrap it all up here? I'm sure by the time this pod comes out, there's going to be more news announcements of slinging mud between each organization. So this is current as of 8.55 p.m. Uh, And if anything news come out, don't shoot us, please. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't we move on now to Argentina versus South Africa? Let's go. We are back with the only game of the weekend and what a treat to put all of our attention solely on 80 minutes of rugby and an interesting 80 minutes of rugby. There were some nice highlights in there, but we still haven't seen an awesomely exciting game uh, from South Africa yet. So I'm keen to dissect this one and see what we can expect perhaps from South Africa if we get the chance to play them this year. Uh, The score ended up 29-10 to victors to South Africa, but they had scored all of their points really by the 52nd minute, so they sort of took the foot off the brakes and allowed Argentina back into the match. Uh, But Argentina also, you know, worked quite hard to get there, so I won't give uh, all the credit to South Africa uh, on that side. But some key questions we've got to ask ourselves after that match, and I think one of the first ones, um, I I guess as the competition builds, is was that an improved performance from either side? So Mitch, I'll throw to you first. Did either team actually seem to improve on what they'd sort of laid out in the 32-12 to performance last week? I actually expected a fair bit more from South Africa this week, uh, considering that last week was sort of their B-grade side and, and they rested some of their stars from the Lions series. I was expecting them to come out firing this week and put in a fair better performance than they probably did. They still did enough to win, but that first half particularly, they were really just uh, jumping back on the the infringements that Argentina were throwing at them and kicking the points on offer. They didn't look like scoring very much um, out in, in the wider channels, which I kind of thought they probably were going to look quite uh, sort of attacking there considering that they had Colby and uh, Mapimpi back in those positions. So in some ways, I thought Argentina did well in that first half to only keep them to 15 at halftime. But uh, the, the South Africa also didn't really look like opening the game up at any point. And interestingly with that, they did have... A, South Africa had a few opportunities in the first 10 minutes where they got a penalty and they kicked for touch. And I thought, oh, great, we're seeing some attacking endeavour. You know, like they might go for a rolling ball early just so they can fling it wide later. But then they couldn't score in the first sort of two attempts. So they just started kicking for sticks and they just kept doing that until... Um, Mpimpi ended up crossing over. So in line with Mpimpi's try, I guess I want to see which other players stood out. So Ando, were there players from either team that really you know took your fancy over the uh, match? Cheson Colby, without a shadow of a doubt. He uh, had a fascinating game, slotting into scrum half for kind of the latter portion of the match. And 
oddly enough, taking off his headgear as he made that transition. Now, my theory was that um, the headgear might slightly obscure his hearing, so maybe he needs to have a little bit more accuracy and clarity in hearing his teammates on either side of the ruck, so maybe. Um, or potentially know. his vision. Potentially. I he mean, can also, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So that was just an interesting one. I'd love someone yeah. to ask him about it after the game. Um, but I actually really enjoyed the way in which he was getting more involved throughout the match. Um, there was a definite intent to have him um, be involved a bit more as kind of like as a second playmaker, inject himself into the kind of the ball out the back and the backline move. Um, there was a couple of times that he put in nice little kicks in behind to show a little bit of a point of difference within his game too. So whilst he is a superstar that you can easily point to, um, he didn't get it this game uh, for incredible tries or something. It was just for doing something a little bit different and being more involved in a game uh, which we haven't always seen over the last four matches. Mm-hmm. No, it's fair enough. And I think with the scrum cap, I, I, my theory is that it's so people can recognise and see the difference. Be like, oh, wow, like these European <laughs> contracts, they've got to you know, increase that price if he's covering, you know, the back line <laughs> yeah. all the way from 9 to 15. Uh, Mitch, yeah. were there players that stood out for you? Was there anyone that uh, sort of... Uh, from know, from South Africa, I was impressed with Am in the centres. I thought he did... Basically, every time he touched the ball, he did something with it. Uh, and yeah. he didn't have a quiet game, so I was impressed with him. But shifting across to Argentina, I was I was impressed with Pablo Matera. I think he's a player for them that's just... He put in another 80-minute performance, and he scored that last try right at the end there. But um, I was just impressed that he's consistently performing for them. He's a leader without being the leader on the, in the team. He's, he's sort of like Hooper uh, was at the Tars a few years ago when uh, we had Rob Simmons as captain. He's leading the, the team around by performance, but not necessarily doing the, lead, the, the captain's duties. Uh, and I think he was a big in, reason why they were able to hang, hang in this game. Yeah, I mean, on top of his try at the end, he did seem to make some of the nice big carries. And their back, uh, the back row was a bit disrupted with injuries to Fecundo Issa and the movements of Kramer mm-hmm. to the bench. So mm-hmm. I, I really liked his involvement. The other player I want to share that was uh, Malcolm Marks. I just thought yep. he was incredible. Um, 13 lineouts, like they didn't miss a single one while he was on. And his lineouts um, were perfect, straight down the middle so all nice. game. I was just sitting there just envying it. <laughs> why? Oh. why? It, How is he so good? Why can't we a, have a player like that? <laughs> What an insult that he's been sitting on their bench for all these games <laughs> where we've just been screaming for a standout hooker. And I just thought, not only does he offer that, but he's, he would be the perfect fit for the Wallabies because he made three pilfers. Like, he plays like a seven as well. He's just so yeah. good. Um, truly a treat. Maybe we should play. go through his papers and see if he's got, like, a great, uh, great aunt or uncle who's Australian. <laughs> and then somehow make the world forget with, like, a men yeah. in black type device. Yeah, we can do that it. That he played for South Africa at all. Yeah, and we'll get World Rugby to change the eligibility laws as well, so we can yep, defect right. to Australia while we're at Good. it. Fix up one of the major get issues. A new hooker, isn't it? Yeah, but we'll <laughs> do it. That's not Malcolm Marks. That's Muzza Marks. He's Australian. <laughs> Muzza. <laughs> Muzza. <laughs> Muzza Marks. Um, and look, I would just shout out that I think we're very positive, but I will uh, slide in to say that Domingo Miotti is not Nicolas Sanchez. He no. didn't have a great game, no. and you know, just a little. Word of caution to Argentina. I'm sure Ledesma is listening. Um, you know, stick with Sanchez. He's, he's better. Um, <laughs> we'll move on to see how scared Australia and New Zealand should be by these two sides, respectively, yeah. um, because we should be playing them in the next few weeks, all things uh, going ahead. Crossed. So, Endo, we'll start with um, Australia. How scared should they be 
of both of these sides. Um, we have a serious problem coming up coming up against South Africa. Like, it, there's no way of sugarcoating it. I'm really concerned we're going to get absolutely blasted off the park by them. Um, I don't think we have the power across the park to contend with them effectively. And I'm not sure that we have enough players who are really confident under the high ball to be able to diffuse that element of the game as well. Now, that wasn't present as much within this game, but I'm pretty sure that was just them taking what they knew was going to be a fairly comfortable win as an opportunity to keep the ball in hand a little bit more, turn down some of the penalties, go for the line, get the rolling more working a bit more or give them the opportunity to get working a bit more. I'm, I'm really concerned that we are going to be facing some pretty hefty, hefty defeats against South Africa. Um, against Argentina, I'm quite hopeful. They've been pretty poor over these two games. They really haven't shown much on attack at all. Um, apart from... The uh, did they have a try in the first game? They obviously got over the line uh, at the end of the match. They scored what one try in two games? Is it? Yeah. Um, their attack has basically been non-existent, and they've only been kicking penalty goals. And look, I know that they've got quality out wide, and I know that they have a few really quality and aggressive um, forwards. But we should be able to beat them unless we see the fact that they it'll be their third game that they've been able to string together. Um, over time that will lead to an improved performance so yeah look we should be beating argentina at this point and we're going to get smashed by, by south africa if things uh, continue the way i expect them to all right so mitch off that logic presumably new zealand can beat argentina but how do you see them stacking up against south africa they're two very different sides that really are fighting for that number one ranking uh i'm not what does anyone know the actual uh plan for who plays which team first like if the rugby champs were to go ahead were we meant to play south africa before new zealand does yeah yeah so on that uh point alone if we were to play south africa before they played new zealand i feel like we might stand a chance if we can play with ball in hand and do some pretty good running rugby at the beginning of the game so the first half south africa doesn't look like they've been tested up against a team who is willing to run the ball at them since the World Cup in 2019. The Lions played very defensively, uh, and Argentina and both Georgia have really not really stretched them too much. This The last few minutes of this game, Argentina started to, to run with ball in hand, and they started to find some space in the Springboks' back line. So I'm kind of hopeful. if We, we do need to fix up our, our fullback. Uh, I think we need to bring someone in other than Banks who's really solid under the high ball but also can di so diffuse that high ball but also kick effectively uh, back at them. But I'm hopeful that if we can play an up-tempo, high phase count uh, type of play against South Africa, particularly that first game, we might be able to shock them a little bit and get some points on the board. Maybe not beat them so much i think they probably will be able to adapt and and maybe edge us at the end there but i think that they will struggle initially uh if that was to be the case but if they come up against new zealand first of all i think new zealand are just going to blow them away with their ability to counter attack keep the ball in hand and just score off anything so if new zealand if south africa are going to play like they did against argentina and kick the ball so much to new zealand uh they will the new zealand will punish them for that and I can see that South Africa is going to have to put in a massive, massive defensive effort to stop New Zealand scoring and be really tight on their turnovers and make sure they're not dropping balls or, or floating passes because New Zealand will be pinching and, and trying to find uh, scoring opportunities off any infringement that South Africa are making. 
Uh, I think that could potentially be a massive um, play because we've seen them sort of change to the back line a bit in New Zealand. But if they opted for Rico Ioane, Will Jordan and Geordie Barrett back three, they're players that are all over six foot three. They're all very good in the air. So like, that's not their first race back three, but it's a hell of a group of players and might be something that could sort of upset the South African kicking game. Um, but I, I think you guys have pretty much covered it that South Africa are a massive threat for anyone. Um, Humans. Imagine Will Jordan going up, so. up against Cheston Colby. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would be scared to see Jordan try and defend him if they're both running, but in the air, that's uh, yeah. a, a nice clear win for the Kiwis. Uh, and I guess what I want to tie this into, because Ando brought up that um, the Fumas have been a bit uh, disappointing in their attack and inability to score tries. They've just sort of been kicking points. And I wonder how much of this has to do with um, the Haguaras not playing in Super Rugby this year. Mm-hmm. And so their cohesion's just dropped completely. A lot of these players are playing in different clubs in uh, France and England, and so they're sort of coming together and are probably more building into the season as yep. opposed to just starting from a strong foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and are you sort of in agreement with that, that that's been a big factor this year? <clears throat> yeah, that's my major concern about the potential um, rate of improvement the Argentinians have in them is because they haven't had the time together. They had some moments where they were better this week against South Africa. This was a much improved South African side in terms of the quality of players that they had. Um, And yet the score wasn't a blowout and it wasn't too much different to the previous week. And so that that does show some improvement within the Argentinians. And I think that we might continue to see that moving forward, that they'll build into this series um, and will be a threat. And it, I mean, I should have said this earlier, um, they're actually above us in the world rankings. So they're in six and we're in seven. Now it's by 0.01. Um, so it's not a significant difference, but uh, we shouldn't, I guess we shouldn't take any um, team for granted that are above us particularly. It'll be interesting but... to see if we move up due to their loss. Because that has happened in the past. Not playing for some reason and losing a game affects the rankings. I think the difference this week could be when a team is so far ahead, um, points aren't attributed, especially if they're played on the home team um, of the dominant one. So I think there was a game last week um, where it didn't matter how much South Africa beat Argentina by, they couldn't drop below us if we lost. Um, so the whole algorithm is very confusing. Um, it it's not the best sense. thing in the world, but it is interesting to see. Yeah. I, I do want to just point out that even though they're above us in the world rankings, they are below us on the rugby championship table. Yeah, <laughs> because their two pretty big defeats are slightly worse than our very big defeat. So good work. Yeah, we're, uh, we'll we're take sitting that. in third, and yeah, that's that's pretty good. Um, look, I think that's all we've got to say for this game. So let's move into the locker room. All right, let's go. All right, we head now to the locker room, and we have had a bunch of fan submissions come in. Thank you so much. Now, before we actually get into this, I should have mentioned it earlier in the pod or right at the top. Um, we would really love your uh, reviews, your positive reviews, wherever you're listening to this, maybe on Apple or iTunes, uh, maybe on whatever platform it is. Your reviews help us. So please, please, please take some time and get a hopefully positive review in for the pod. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to start off with uh, Louis Lewis Smith. Be careful, Australia, about relaxing the ghetto law. Look what's happening to South African super rugby sides. The Stormers, Sharks, Lions got thrashed by British and Irish Lions because all their top players are in Europe and Japan. Could the same happen in Australia? Mitch? Yeah, it very well could. You spoke about this last week. Uh, the only thing that I would say 
potentially the fact that we're hosting the blinds in 2025 means that there might be a lure for some players to stick around in Australian rugby. But if it's going to be a financial situation, yeah, we could very well be looking at a situation like South Africa where all of our talent is playing overseas and we've just got an emerging talent playing in Super Rugby. Uh, Douglas Gardner, I'm honestly still a little cranky about the second half last weekend, especially the two intercepts. But on balance, what were we really expecting based on the Super Rugby Trans-Tasman comp? Why do we keep expecting that the sum of the parts will be so much more than the parts? If an uninvolved party looked at the Trans-Tasman results and was told that two combined teams were now going to play a series, how would they not pick the All Blacks to win every time? Uh, Rev, he is a Reds fan, so why don't I throw this to you? He is mathematically correct, but, you know, the emotional side of rugby is what makes it so interesting. Like, how can you not want to cheer for the underdog? How can you not want, you know, the likes of Hooper to galvanise this team and bring together these, you know, heroic Reds players and these uh, miserable, lowly Waratahs to try and create some <laughs> unit. So I, nah, look, I, I love the Wallabies, so I will always go into a match regardless of the results, thinking we're a chance. And uh, Douglas isn't wrong, you know. Yep. Based off this data, we, we shouldn't the win. Truth so, yeah. The truth hurts. All right, hurts. sticking with Douglas, um, I think that we overran our existing capacity of players each time we expanded the franchises. And so there was this thought that if we reverse those changes, we'd be better. But I don't think that this recognises that expanding the game is a long-term project. If the ghetto law is opened up, what incentive is there to play Super Rugby? If you're a kid coming through, why would you stick around when French money might be on offer? And then what long-term impact does that have on the Australian Super Rugby teams if they're made up of players who aren't good enough for a European contract? Uh, Sydney Rugby Union have closed the Emus, while GWS and the Panthers are in the finals. What does that say to the kids in, their ca- in that catchment about where their future ought to be? Now, I will take that as a statement because we have spoken about a lot of these points uh, already this week and last week as well. So thank you very much, Douglas. Some really, really good points are made there. Now, Jeff Fisher, do you think now is the time to seriously consider dropping Super Rugby altogether and set up a proper NRC so we can grow the game in Australia and get more fans on board and only play the Kiwis at the international level every second year? Mitch? There is some credit to this. If we're going to be playing purely domestic competition next year so super rugby au that doesn't really that doesn't warrant having super rugby sides uh new south wales waratahs operate completely independently of new south wales and sydney rugby so they're not even a combined entity there i think queensland is better they i think queensland rugby runs the reds but it also runs the the juniors as well uh but yeah if we're going to be playing an nrc type competition next year or a super rugby AU competition next year, we may need to expand because having five teams play each other twice is a 10-week competition, which isn't enough rugby. Now, we probably have the capacity, maybe not the money, but the capacity to play Super Rugby AU with an NRC. So we may be shooting ourselves in the foot by uh, getting rid of one in favor of the other. We may have the the option to play both if we had the money to support both of those, those um, competitions. When we look at uh, the Lions series coming in 2025, we probably do want to keep our Super Rugby sides together purely so that we have some team that can play against them um, as our provincial sides. The other thing is if we go to a format where we go back to te- uh, touring international teams like the Lions series, then we can keep our Super sides so that they are t- playing up against the best from each state. Um, but yeah, there, there's the option to have both. Really interesting idea there. All right, Jason Sherman. What could replace rugby championship if we wanted or needed to? 
it is worrying how at odds with one another the rugby championship partners are. How could this possibly be fixed? Because obviously all the unions are under enormous pressure and that pressure highlights these issues. Bonus question, what role should world rugby have in these affairs, Rev? I think I covered this before. I want it to stay as it is. I know that everyone's really keen on getting the change and some people didn't like the South African component. We've seen South Africa and New Zealand are the two best teams, so we need to keep playing them as much as possible in my view. I think if we had a competition with it was, you know, Fiji, Tonga, Japan, uh, and America, you know, a lot of money involved there, some good countries that are close, some that have good time zones. But that's not going to be great in the long term for trying to play against the best teams. It might just help develop, you know, the next crop of young players. So I, I wanted us to see us persevere with what we've got because I like it. I just think the political side is making things look uglier. Yep, I agree. Okay, now another question we have here from Steve Mitchell is uh, thoughts, will the, will the rugby championship be completed? Where to now in trans-Tasman rugby relations? We've already spoken to that, but thank you so much for your question, Steve. We just inadvertently answered it throughout the pod. And then finally, John Corbett. Hey, gents, keen for your thoughts on long-term strategy if we decide to split from the Kiwis after this latest mess. Personally, I'd love to see us engage with the Asia-Pacific Union's meaningful Japanese integration ASAP and working to build player fan base with the six to eight unions in key markets. Mitch. Look, there's one there's one point that we haven't raised in this podcast so far, and that is that New Zealand rugby, for all of the, the, the amount that it says about wanting to progress the game in the Asian Pacific region, they haven't actually done that. And there's talks of them, you know, creating the Moana Pacifica and Fijian and Drua to come into Super Rugby next year, and that's sort of seen as them doing their bit to progress the game in the Asia Pacific region, but they're doing that on their terms. And so there's a lot of talk around them actually controlling those entities and wanting their players based in New Zealand to play in those tournaments. There's uh, in those teams, there's not really a whole lot of actually trying to build the game of rugby outside of that. I think rugby Australia has been a lot more forward in this over the last few years. We introduced Moana, uh, Fijian and Drew were into the NRC two, three years ago. So they've had two, three years of NRC and now they're looking at being bumped up into super, into super rugby full-time. So uh, I think we could potentially sever ties with the Kiwis, uh, do our own thing and then look, look, do our own thing initially, play super rugby AU, but then look at integrating and bringing in the Drew up, look at bringing in a, a Japanese-based team or an American-based team to play us and we don't necessarily need to do what New Zealand's worried too much about them. Personally, that's what I believe. Yep. All right. Well, lads, I think that brings us to the end of the pod tonight. Uh, that's the final question that we've had so far within the locker room. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for getting your questions in. Keep them coming throughout the week and make sure that you stay involved or get involved with us on socials over the coming seven days before our next pod is out. Um, as a final reminder, can you please make sure if you get the chance to leave us a review, give us some positive feedback. Any little bit counts. We thank you as always for your support. Have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next time. Bye. See ya.